Section 4 of La Samoire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lazarus. La Samoire by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest A. Visitelli. Fourth part of Chapter 1. But it was she who returned to the attack, after giving five or six strokes with her beetle, intoxicated by the insult she had given utterance to, and worked up into a passion, she left off and recommenced again, speaking in this way three times. "'Well, yes, it's my sister. There, now, does that satisfy you? Oh, they adore each other. You should see them bill and coo.' And he's left you with your children, those pretty kids with scabs all over their faces. You got one of them from a gendarme, didn't you? And you let three others die because you didn't want to pay excess baggage on your journey. It's your lantier who told us that. Ah, he's been telling some fine things. He'd had enough of you. You "'Dirty jade, you dirty jade, you dirty jade!' yelled Gervaise besides herself, and again, seized with a furious trembling, she turned round, looking once more about the ground, and only observing the little tub, she seized hold of it by the legs and flung the whole of the bluing at Virginie's face. "'The beast! She spoiled my dress!' cried the latter, whose shoulder was sopping wet and whose left hand was dripping blue. "'Just wait, you wretch!' In her turn she seized a bucket and emptied it over Gervaise. Then a formidable battle began. They both ran along the rows of tubs, seized hold of the pails that were full, and returned to dash the contents at each other's heads, and each deluge was accompanied by a volley of words. Gervaise herself answered now. "'There, you scum, you got it that time. It'll help to cool you. Ah, the carrion! That's for your filth. Wash yourself for once in your life.' Yes, yes, I'll wash the salt out of you, you cod. Another one, brush your teeth. Fix yourself up for the post tonight at the corner of Rue Belhomme. They ended by having to refill the buckets at the water taps, continuing to insult each other the while. The initial bucketfuls were so poorly aimed as to scarcely reach their targets, but they soon began to splash each other in earnest. Virginie was the first to receive a bucketful in the face. The water ran down, soaking her back and front. She was still staggering when another caught her from the side, hitting her left ear and drenching her chignon, which then came unwound into a limp, bedraggled string of hair. Gervaise was first hit in the legs. One pail filled her shoes full of water and splashed up to her thighs. Two more wet her even higher. Soon both of them were soaked from top to bottom, and it was impossible to count the hits. Their clothes were plastered to their bodies, and they looked shrunken. Water was dripping everywhere, as from umbrellas in a rainstorm. "'They look jolly funny,' said the hoarse voice of one of the women. Everyone in the wash-house was highly amused. A good space was left to the combatants, as nobody cared to get splashed. Applause and jokes circulated in the midst of the sluice-like noise of the buckets emptied in rapid succession. On the floor the puddles were running one into another, and the two women were wading in them up to their ankles. 
Virginie, however, who had been meditating a treacherous move, suddenly seized hold of a pail of lye which one of her neighbours had left there and threw it. The same cry arose from all. Everyone thought that Gervaise was scalded, but only her left foot had been slightly touched, and, exasperated by the pain, she seized a bucket, without troubling herself to fill it this time, and threw it with all her might at the legs of Virginie, who fell to the ground. All the women spoke together. She's broken one of her limbs. Well, the other tried to cook her. She's right after all, the blonde one, if her man's been taken from her. Madame Bosch held up her arms to heaven, uttering all sorts of exclamations. She had prudently retreated out of the way between two tubs, and the children, Claude and Etienne, crying, choking, terrified, clung to her dress with the continuous cry of Mama, Mama, broken by their sobs. When she saw Virginie fall, she hastened forward and tried to pull Gervaise away by her skirt, repeating the while, now come now, go home, be reasonable. Oh, my word, it's quite upset me. Never was such a butchery seen before. But she had to draw back and seek refuge again between the two tubs with the children. Virginie had just flown at Gervaise's throat. She squeezed her round the neck, trying to strangle her. The latter freed herself with a violent jerk, and in her turn hung on to the other's hair, as though she were trying to pull her head off. The battle was silently resumed without a cry, without an insult. They did not seize each other around the body. They attacked each other's faces with open hands and clawing fingers, pinching, scratching whatever they caught hold of. The tall, dark girl's red ribbon and blue silk hair net were torn off. The body of her dress, giving away at the neck, displayed a large portion of her shoulder, whilst the blonde, half-stripped, a sleeve gone from her loose white jacket, without her knowing how, had a rent in her underlinen which exposed to view the naked line of her waist. Shreds of stuff flew in all directions. It was from Gervaise that the first blood was drawn, three long scratches from the mouth to the chin, and she sought to protect her eyes, shutting them at every grab the other made, for fear of having them torn out. No blood showed on Virginie yet. Gervaise aimed at her ears, maddened at not being able to reach them, at length she succeeded in seizing hold of one of the earrings, an imitation pear in yellow glass, which she pulled out and slipped the ear, and the blood flowed. They're killing each other! Separate them, the vixens! exclaimed several voices. The other women had drawn nearer. They formed themselves into two camps. Some were cheering the combatants on, as others were trembling and turning their heads away, saying it was making them sick. A large fight nearly broke out between the two camps as the women called each other names and brandished their fists threateningly. Three loud slaps rang out. Madame Bosch, meanwhile, was trying to discover the wash-house boy. Charles, Charles, wherever is he got to? And she found him in the front rank, looking on with his arms folded. He was a big fellow with an enormous neck. He was laughing and enjoying the sight of the skin which the two women displayed. The little blonde was as fat as a quail. It would be fun if her chemise burst open. Why, murmured he, blinking his eye, she's got a strawberry birthmark under her arm. What? You there, cried Madame Bosch as she caught sight of him. Just come and help us separate them. You can easily separate them, you can. Oh, no, thank you, not if I know it, said he coolly. To get my eye scratched like I did the other day, I suppose. 
I'm not here for that sort of thing. I have enough to do without that. Don't be afraid. A little bleeding does them good. It'll soften them. The concierge then talked of fetching the police, but the mistress of the wash-house, the delicate young woman with the red inflamed eyes, would not allow her to do this. She kept saying, No, no, I won't. Uh, it'll compromise my establishment. The struggle on the ground continued. All on a sudden, Virginie raised herself up to her knees. She had just got hold of a beetle and held it on high. She had a rattle in her throat and an altered voice. She exclaimed, Here's something that'll settle you. Get your dirty linen ready. Gervaise quickly thrust out her hand and also seized a beetle and held it up like a club, and she too spoke in a choking voice. Ah, you, you want to wash? Let me get hold of your skin that I may beat it into dishcloths. For a moment they remained there on their knees, menacing each other, their hair all over their faces, their breasts heaving, muddy, swelling with rage. They watched one another as they waited and took breath. Gervaise gave the first blow. Her beetle glided off Virginie's shoulder, and she at once threw herself on one side to avoid the latter's beetle which grazed her hip. Then, warming to their work, they struck at each other like washerwomen beating clothes, roughly and in time. Whenever there was a hit, the sound was deadened, so that one might have thought it a blow in a tub full of water. The other women around them no longer laughed. Several had gone off, saying that it quite upset them. Those who remained stretched out their necks, their eyes lighted up with a gleam of cruelty, admiring the pluck displayed. Madame Bosch had led Claude and Etienne away, and one could hear at the other end of the building the sound of their sobs mingled with the sonorous shocks of the two beetles. But Gervais suddenly yelled. Virginie had caught her a whack with all her might on her bare arm just above the elbow. A large red mark appeared. The flesh at once began to swell. Then she threw herself upon Virginie, and everybody thought she was going to beat her to death. Enough, enough, was cried on all sides. Her face bore such a terrible expression that no one dared approach her. Her strength seemed to have increased tenfold. She seized Virginie round the waist, bent her down and pressed her face against the flagstones. Raising her beetle, she commenced beating as she used to beat at Plassin on the banks of the Vionne, when her mistress washed the clothes of the garrison. The woods seemed to yield to the flesh with a damp sound. At each whack a red wheel marked the white skin. Oh, oh, exclaimed the boy Charles, opening his eyes to their full extent and gloating over the sight. Laughter again burst forth from the lookers-on, but soon the cry, Enough, enough, recommenced. Gervaise heard not, neither did she tire. She examined her work, bent over it, anxious not to leave a dry place. She wanted to see the whole of that skin beaten, covered with contusions. And she talked, seized with a ferocious gaiety, recalling a washerwoman's song. Bang, bang, Margot at her tub. Bang, bang, beating rub-a-dub. Bang, bang, tries to wash her heart. Bang, bang, black with grief to part. And then she resumed. That's for you, that's for your sister, that's for Lantier. When you next see them, you can give them that. Attention, I'm going to begin again. That's for Lantier, that's for your sister, that's for you. Bang, bang, Margot at her tub. Bang, bang, beating rub-a-dub. The others were obliged to drag Virginie away from her. The tall, dark girl, her face bathed in tears and purple with shame, picked up her things and hastened away. She was vanquished. 
Gervaise slipped on the sleeve of her jacket again and fastened up her petticoats. Her arm pained her a good deal, and she asked Madame Bosch to place her bundle of clothes on her shoulder. The concierge referred to the battle, spoke of her emotions, and talked of examining the young woman's person just to see. You may perhaps have something broken. I heard a tremendous blow. But Gervaise wanted to go home. She made no reply to the pitying remarks and noisy ovation of the other women who surrounded her erect in their aprons. When she was laden, she gained the door where the children awaited her. Two hours, that makes two sous, said the mistress of the wash-house, already back at her post in the glazed closet. Why two sous? She no longer understood that she was asked to pay for her place there. Then she gave the two sous, and, limping very much beneath the weight of the wet clothes on her shoulder, the water dripping off her, her elbow black and blue, her cheek covered with blood, she went off, dragging Claude and Etienne with her bare arms, whilst they trotted along on either side of her, still trembling and their faces besmeared with their tears. Once she was gone, the wash-house resumed its roaring tumult. The washerwomen had eaten their bread and drunk their wine. Their faces were lit up and their spirits enlivened by the fight between Gervaise and Virginie. The long lines of tubs were astir again, with a fury of thrashing arms, of craggy profiles, of marionettes with bent backs and slumping shoulders that twisted and jerked violently, as though on hinges. Conversation went on from one end to the other in loud voices. Laughter and coarse remarks crackled through the ceaseless gurgling of the water. Faucets were sputtering, buckets spilling, rivulets flowing underneath the rows of washboards. Throughout the huge shed, rising wisps of steam reflected a reddish tint, pierced here and there by disks of sunlight, golden globes that had leaked through holes in the awnings. The air was stiflingly warm and odorous with soap. Suddenly the hall was filled with a white mist. The huge copper lid of a lye-water kettle was rising mechanically along a notched shaft, and from the gaping copper hollow within its walls of brick came whirling clouds of vapour. Meanwhile, at one side, the drying machines were hard at work. Within their cast-iron cylinders, bundles of laundry were being wrung dry by the centrifugal force of the steam engine, which was still puffing, steaming, jolting the wash-house with the ceaseless labour of its iron limbs. When Gervaise turned into the entry of the Hôtel Boncourt, her tears again mastered her. It was a dark, narrow passage with a gutter for the dirty water running alongside the walls, and the stench which she again encountered there caused her to think of the fortnight she had passed in the place with Lantier, a fortnight of misery and quarrels, the recollection of which was now a bitter regret. It seemed to bring her abandonment home to her. Upstairs the room was bare, in spite of the sunshine which entered through the open window. The blaze of light, that kind of dancing golden dust, exposed the lamentable condition of the blackened ceiling, and of the walls half denuded of paper all the more. The only thing left hanging in the room was a woman's small neckerchief, twisted like a piece of string. The children's bedstead, drawn into the middle of the apartment, displayed the chest of drawers, the open drawers of which exposed their emptiness. Lantier had washed himself and had used up the last of the pomatum, two sous' worth of pomatum and a playing card. 
The greasy water from his hands filled the basin, and he had forgotten nothing. The corner, which until then had been filled by the trunk, seemed to Gervaise an immense empty space. Even the little mirror which hung on the window fastening was gone. When she made this discovery, she had a presentiment. She looked on the mantelpiece. Lantier had taken away the pawn tickets. The pink bundle was no longer there, between the two odd zinc candlesticks. She hung her laundry over the back of the chair and just stood there, gazing around at the furniture. She was so dulled and bewildered that she could no longer cry. She had only one sou left. Then, hearing Claude and Etienne laughing merrily by the window, their troubles already forgotten, she went to them and put her arms around them, losing herself for a moment in contemplation of that long grey avenue, where that very morning she had watched the awakening of the working population of the immense workshop of Paris. At this hour immense heat was rising from the pavement and from all the furnaces in the factories, setting light a reflecting oven over the city and beyond the Artois walls. Out upon this very pavement, into this furnace blast, she had been tossed, alone with her little ones. As she glanced up and down the boulevard, she was seized with a dull dread that her life would be fixed there for ever, between a slaughterhouse and a hospital. End of chapter 1 Recording by David Lazarus